0: Is this for Credits? The NZATE Podcast. Philly, welcome back to our podcast for Episode 7.
1: Thank you, Christopher.
0: We've actually decided that it's time for us to talk to each other in this podcast. Even though we've declared that we're HODs and we've alluded to the fact that we have departments that we work with, we really haven't gone into it. And I think it's a good opportunity for us to do that now that we've got a few of these interviews under our belt, don't you reckon?
1: I do reckon, yeah. And I think as well, we're in completely different contexts and, um, yeah, have some quite differing opinions on things. So
0: I think we might.
1: Yeah, yeah. Hopefully.
0: The idea here would be that we'll have different opinions, but... I must admit, I'm really fascinated with what you're doing. And I have that feeling, as I often do when I'm talking to someone who I admire, that I'll have to quell occasionally a feeling of inadequacy.
1: Yeah, I I live in that space as well. Um, But I've recently kind of emerged from that, I think. Um, I've spent so much of my career and, and life really you know, plagued with that feeling of inadequacy. And it's just such a a waste of time, because of course, there's always going to be things that you want to do better. But if you approach those things that you want to do better from the position that you don't know what you're doing, it it can be quite paralyzing.
0: I agree. Those feelings are completely unhelpful
1: but it does take a long time I think to arrive at a position where you're comfortable getting feedback and comfortable being inadequate and maybe someone might tell you or you discover that and then you have to make that change like that's I guess that's one thing actually critically reflective practice and and critical reflection as an everyday professional activity is something that I am deeply passionate about and I think it's because in my previous role Uh, before I went to Albany Senior, I was working for the Mind Lab on their Master of Teaching and Education Leadership Program as one of five directors of that program. We were partnered with Akumata Tupu Teach First NZ and it was so hard to develop that program was incredibly challenging. And to to build a master's program as you're flying it and to be supporting teachers in their first year of teaching, doing a master's qualification in a low decile environment somewhere across the motu. And there was so much about that program that meant that I had to so deeply question myself and my bias and what I knew and so much of what I didn't know. And you sat in that vulnerable space for most of the time. And that just challenged me and pushed me to a space now where I think I'm much more comfortable visiting that vulnerable space more periodically and, and transforming from that place.
0: What did you discover were some of your strengths through that process? What are you good at?
1: People. I'm not a... I know that Sian, um Evans in a previous workshop that we delivered last year, Chris, talks about herself being a literary traditionalist and that being a real strength of hers, um, that's kind of that language has sort of stuck with me a little bit because I'm in no way a literary traditionalist. I'm an I'm not a traditionalist in many senses of the
0: word. Under any circumstances,
1: yeah, I don't. I don't. I think I question tradition and I I really enjoy change.
0: So about people, can I drill down into that a bit further and say what is it that Yeah, totally. Uh you are particularly strong at in relation to your work with people?
1: I'm always seeking to find genuine connection. Like I like small talk stuff, but I much prefer connecting with people on a on a real I don't know, having having chemistry and electricity and, and operating from that space, whether that be working with students or working with um, people in my team or working with superiors as well. I'm always kind of looking to, to find that space. And I think that supports me supporting other people to be vulnerable, to to make change in their practice because you're able to move people into quite a, a trusting environment because, because you're holding that connection with someone. So maybe that's what it is that, that makes me good with people. And I think as well, I'm very extroverted. So I struggle with my own company before having a child and and kind of needing a bit of time to myself. I used to get quite nervous about the end of year holidays because I'd generally get quite blue, like I'd get quite depressed before coming back to school because it was just too much time on my own and I didn't know how to fill it. I, I thoroughly enjoy spending time with people and even at the end of a, an incredibly tiring day, If I spend time with people, that's what will stimulate me.
0: In relation to your role as HOD, which is essentially the definition of middle management, isn't it? We've got the senior group ahead of us, which are driving the school as a whole. And then we've got a team of our own who we're fiercely loyal to and highly responsible for, as well as the students and their families. How do you think you handle that middle position? What are some of your strategies that make it work for you?
1: Generally, I reckon at our school, people are on the same page which is rare, it's really rare, and I've never worked anywhere like that before. I think that occurs not only because senior leadership is really transparent in how they operate, but because relationships with staff are really prioritised. And culturally, I don't think that has developed within the school. You know, like if somebody um, came in as a newer member of staff and they're sort of practising, and this has happened kind of recently, you know, someone was sort of practising the, well, they said, you know, the sort of... Pointing up to senior leadership and, and it just kind of grates like I've, I remember thinking, like I feel like I should go up to that person and be like, oh, hey, by the way, people don't really talk like that here. S- find another strategy to, to connect with people. And, um, and that's not a criticism to that newer member of staff, but it's quite an entrenched behavior, I can think.
0: I wonder, though, if one of the things I'm taking from this is a wider piece of advice for people in positions like ours, and that is find your place so that you can be congruent and you are supportive of what's going on around you so that you can be your best self instead of trying to tackle those things where you might find that you're at odds. Because I definitely say that from my point of view is that I've learned that lesson, is that it's important to find an environment where you line up certainly on a values basis and probably on a style basis as well with the people that you're directly working with.
1: Yeah, because we've talked about that, eh, about what work can take From you when you're feeling as though you don't quite, you know, when you're a bit of a square peg. What's that experience been like for you moving somewhere where you're feeling at home?
0: I think I'd want to take some credit for that in that I've been on a journey of learning in that role of middle leadership because I think I've had very, very, very strong views. I've been a kind of firebrand HOD, I've been a complete sort of dedicated champion for my team and our students. But it hasn't been always that healthy because I think I might have even set up oppositional situations where they may not have happened. And I now realise after having experienced that and created more conflict than was needed, the job is very much a mediation job that you are actually, as you say, looking at building strong relationships with the people all around and getting the best out of everyone. And it's such a powerful job, really, because we're responsible for the delivery of a very significant part of the learning of every student in every school, especially as English uh, HODs. And so we already have a lot of influence and a lot of ability to direct the travel of things. And I think it's more about trying to enable those around you. And so I think I've taken that initiative this time. I'm thinking I want to act as an enabler for the people around me.
1: It's interesting, eh? Like one thing I think that, feels different about, I don't know, where where I'm working or where I am in my life or, or, or the, how long I've been teaching. You know, I've been teaching for 15 years now. Like I ca- I cannot cope with toxicity and I've worked in uh, over 15 years as as many people would. I've worked in a lot of toxic environments. I've worked with toxic people and I've participated in – and that within within professional spaces and it has worn me down it has broken me it has sent me to therapy and been to the absolute detriment of my mental health and relationships with people who I should be prioritizing above anything else and I just I'd have no tolerance for it anymore
0: I'm with you on that if we were to give advice that we were in concert about it would be to say uh, like the gambler song, know when to hold him, know when to fold him, know when to walk away and know when to run. And there's no failure in running mm. sometimes.
1: Yeah. A decision was was changed recently at, at school, which, you know, happens. And someone said, like, why did that, you know, why did that happen? And I was like, well, I think it happened and that this, this played out like that. And then, and then I was just like, you know, I, I just think it's one of those things that we, you just suck it up and do it. And everyone's like, yeah, okay, sweetheart. It's like, yeah, let's 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 not waste any airspace hypothesizing or you know dramatizing this. A, a, a human person made a decision and that and then changed that decision for good reason because we're all professional and we all have expertise. So let's just trust that and give that decision, give that person the benefit of the doubt and just do our jobs. Hey, we mentioned before. I don't know I don't know the language that you used but you were talking about in previous jobs maybe you've you've been a campaigner for something and it's it's kind of added to the toxicity or whatever that that's I'm paraphrasing and um, apologies if I've got the wrong end of the stick there what if you were back in those situations again what would you have done differently
0: actually if I'm really honest I should have just seen the signs and got out sometimes the place is just not right for you and you're not congruent with the people, the culture or the direction of travel. And if that's the case, you can't expect the whole organisation to rearrange itself around your needs. And I, I think I expected too much of that. I thought that what I had to offer was really valuable and important and I wanted to be listened to. But really, uh, once I understood that that wasn't going to happen, why push it?
1: Were you being up yourself?
0: Yeah, but I... I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to put a full end to that. And I think I just have to work.
1: Why would you, Chris, though?
0: I might be wrong, but I think there's a sense to which some people find it quite helpful to know what their HOD wants, if that makes sense, like, and to have the HOD quite clear about what it is they're trying to achieve. And they can make choices themselves as to whether they choose to align with those things.
1: With my leadership of the team, I think I'm more visionary um long term strategy collaborative transparent practicing type stuff as opposed to policy deadline here are your resources so I'm not a particularly strong administrator i i I don't like admin i'm I either remember everything or I forget everything like there's no there's no middle ground for me um and I know that that's a work on but I'm more in the the creative, visionary space. Where do you sit?
0: I'd see myself in the same way. That's the stuff that keeps me alive, keeps me engaged and, you know, sort of 18, 19 years into teaching myself, gets me up every day, that kind of sense of the the newness and the possibility of everything. I get very excited by those things. I think I have learned, though, as part of, and this might even sound overly simplistic, but I have learnt that part of the job is to serve my crew and that for some of my crew, just them getting an answer to a question quickly or a resource ordered on time or you know the stationary cupboard restocked is actually a form of love and I need to do that even if I don't care about it. It's not about what I care about all the time. So I've been trying to practice that a lot more, just paying attention to the things that are important to others and it has been quite a joyful thing to, when I get that right.
1: Yeah, one thing that we use, which I think so many more schools and like so many more schools should use like chat and messenger applications because that's just really how so many organisations outside of education just communicate now. Like the, the fact that schools just depend
0: on email. It's very clumsy.
1: <laughs> that yeah. mode of communication within the context it's, but yeah, it's just so formal. And you might check your emails once or twice a day. Um, so we, the platform that we use is called Slack. And f- for me, that has transformed our department. So we chat all day. And if someone's like, hey, I've just created this resource for 1.5, can someone have a look at it? Previously, that might be a question that you'd think, I should ask the head of department that question and I will print this off and I will figure out when they have a non-contact and I will go to them. Whereas with a messenger platform, you can chuck it up and be like, I've just created this. What do you guys think? And all of a sudden you've got nine or 10 or however many people having this conversation, moderating that resource, thanking each other for that. I'm going to steal that and use it next period. Um, and it, it's created such a culture of of sharing, of um, it's a tool for absolutely for collective efficacy. It's a tool to support transparency and it's a, a tool to kind of distribute leadership so that I, I don't think that I am positioned in a very hierarchical position. Like I know that if I came to my team and, and, and I say, you know, this is how I want to do things, people will respond to that. But I don't think I am feared and i don't think that people perceive me as being the knower of the things
0: so i love the um, use of that kind of platform as well and we're moving in that direction as a team i agree for very similar motives especially the transparency side of things i also think it's really important that we're considerate about the way we demand each other's attention and i think some of these messenger apps allow people to make choices about when they attend to something whereas an email through its formality almost demands a response. Also, of course, it's hard to distribute an e- email around a number of people because the whole conversation keeps entering their inboxes more clutter.
1: Yes. And also if you email everyone and then multiple people reply to threads at different times, yeah, and it's it's just too clunky. With those other platforms, you also do have to set the Kawa though as well. You have to set that um, how are we going to interact with this? At what time are people going to turn it off? Is there an expectation people have this app on their phone? And I think that those conversations are really important because otherwise you can be without knowing it, you know, watching TV or whatever and chatting away. And it's like, holy shit, I've actually worked an 11-hour day. And
0: yeah, it's time to stop.
1: It's time to stop, yeah. yeah. Or what kind of a culture am I creating Yes. where people might think that it's normal behavior to be, you know, messaging people at nine o'clock at night.
0: Um, Absolutely. It's those inferences around the actions that we take. And I do think carefully about that. So for example, I'll also, if I am emailing people and I'm doing it in the evening, I'll often set it as a delayed send so it looks like it's mm. been sent in the daytime so that they're only... Up.
1: And you don't look like a martyr being like, sorry for the late yeah, email. Yeah,
0: nothing I more nauseating. <laughs> and it's, it's, wrong. it's like, that all kind of sorry. so-called virtue signaling. I don't consider it to be mm. a virtue. But yeah, so it is just about gaining their attention at times when it's appropriate to ask. Our school has some really good policies around both the use of email and the timing of things. So they've actually structured and stated their sort of protocols for email and they're encouraging in-person contact as the primary form of communication and e- and emails only during certain times and avoidances of CCs and BCCs unless necessary and all that sort of thing. It's been actually quite clearly stated. And when I started there, I really appreciated kind of knowing how things are done in that way. So what's your, how would you characterize your department? What kind of, what kind of, department, is it?
1: Well, there's nine of us. We're pretty woke, I reckon. Um, We're pretty rainbow. I'm really proud of that. One of my teachers (laughs) has made it his mission to not teach any texts by straight white guys, um, which I love. There's a huge amount of teacher agency. So we don't have a year 11, 12 or year 13 program. It's an individual teacher program. And then we sort of return to these core activities like moderation, like our hui, like PD, you know, we have these central sort of spaces we come back to, but the team is very, uh, takes very informed risks and we're quite a creative team, very supportive. We might not have a huge amount in common, but we thoroughly enjoy the time that we spend together and we make a real effort to, um, to validate and to celebrate all of the identities in the department and to respect one another as well. Whether someone is Mormon or so atheist, or gay, or Christian, or w- whatever, you know, um, all of those different perspectives and life experiences and identities are, are held,
0: which is pretty great. Given that that's the cohort that you're likely to be working with, isn't yeah, it?
1: totally, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I came in at the right time. Very helpful was that I had just come from a digital program and then soon into working at Albany Senior. We In Auckland, we went in, oh, nationally, we went into lockdown. So to move a department who had never taught online into teaching in an online space, I felt really, I felt like that was an amazing leadership opportunity for me because I could very confidently sort of step up to the plate and, um, yeah, it's nice to was,
0: start and immediately be useful, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. a nice moment for me to feel kind of secure. And you're, I was so conscious of coming in, taking over from somebody else who had a, a different way of doing things, um, who was also a de- is still a deputy principal. So it was just a little bit awkward about, I'm going to do things differently to you, but I don't want to step on your toes or disrespect mm. anything, but I'm we're different people. Mm. Um, but then in order to do that as well i created uh, a conceptual framework um which is based on the matariki star cluster and it's it's basically the the dispositions of each of those stars are uh, described with reference to how we engage and connect with one another so um mahi, so how we navigating how we work together, I guess, is the name of that document. And that was a a powerful document for us to look to, to be like, this is how we work. This is how we collaborate. This is how we acknowledge the work that has happened before us. But this is also how we respectfully challenge ourselves and each other to to progress. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, a couple of kind of...
0: It's a very intentional approach to the team before you think about the product, isn't it? Yeah,
1: definitely. That whole first year was based on collaboration and transparency like real collaboration not just cooperation but actually being vulnerable with with each other and creating things from the ground up and not being on the same part plan or you know brain space but having to make stuff together and then at the end of that first year through that experience we arrived at a place where we could um challenge our own practice individually. So I wanted us to, to be galvanized as a team so then people could move off in separate directions. So we sort of dis- dissolved the year 11, 12 and 13 programs and everyone developed their own one. And then I sort of knew that by the end of a year of doing that, people would be exhausted of doing their own thing and would want to come back closer together, having sort of reflected and developed their own practice. So now we're more closely aligned having become a stronger team and having developed stronger individual practice so now we're doing some kind of some more core activities our year 11 program is different we're doing things at the same time we've kind of got more agreed co-papa. um but yeah i, I think now we're, we're a pretty high performing team in terms of um our identity
0: i, I can imagine a lot of teachers listening to this will think i want to work in that department i want to work in that department both where I'm, I have autonomy, but also where I'm fully supported working with others.
1: Yeah. The only thing is that sometimes you might want a unit plan and (laughs) a what I'm not going to give it to you. Yeah. And I think sometimes that would be kind of annoying because, you know, sometimes I'm like, let's create this together. Or what do you think?
0: Oh, that's always a, that's a tension, right? I experience that tension and I must admit that I'm happy to go as far as getting whiteboard markers but I'm not going to unit plans. And like, I probably do have my hard lines. So it's really interesting because while our environments are different, I do honestly see some really strong parallels.
1: Yeah. What's your department like?
0: So it's it's been really interesting. I'm in my second year. So starting last year, um, there were a couple of things that came up for us that gave me exactly the same opportunity that you had to get in amongst it and really act with the department on a significant new project. And I'll, I'll talk about a couple of those things in a minute, but The department itself, well, I entered it and it was already very high functioning, really high performing. The outcomes for the students are really strong. The reputation in the school was really strong in terms of academic achievement and a group of very strong minded individuals as well. So they'd been going well and they were quite sure of that. At the same time, there was less of the diversity that you're talking about. I think the things that We've needed to work on are actually very similar. Inevitably, in, in a high performance environment, there's also competitiveness. And I think what possibly might have been the case is that the competitiveness was sometimes challenging for some of the team. And so we've worked on collaboration and we had this great opportunity because the schools shifted to this internal diploma for the years 10 and 11 cohorts. And that's meant that we've had to redevise all the teaching and learning and the assessment scheme and the whole conceptualization of learning in English really for those two years with a view to doing it across the other years as well. And uh, the reframing of it is using some philosophies that I already had put a lot of work into in my career, for example, allowing student choice. So we set up about 14 different English programs for those two years, and the students choose which ones they want to do. So, every individual teacher got to pitch a program that was of their making within the framework that we'd built together. And then, whether those courses ran or not, depended on whether the students chose them. And of course, one of the artifacts of that that I hadn't anticipated, but has been probably the most powerful part, is that some of the courses were very popular and therefore aren't necessarily entirely taught by the person that invented them so we're having to take on each other as apprentices in our courses mm. and so we're yeah, cool. we've, we've got the, the we're teaching the courses we devised but we're also sometimes teaching courses devised by other people and having to kind of learn about what they were thinking and deliver something that m- maintains the integrity of those courses I love the principle of serving the students in that way. Like we're using our expertise to devise courses and they're semesterized. So there's changes every six months and the 10 and 11 students are mixed up. So they're not kept separate by age. So there are quite a diverse group of students that come in each time, but you know they've chosen this course. And if it's the one you devised, then you know they've chosen the one you created. And it's a really lovely feeling. And, and then you feel like, like you're embarking on a journey with the students to make a success of this thing that we've shared a vision on. So coordinating that's been such fun, like bringing some coherence to it. Is
1: that really different to what it was a couple of years ago at
0: those year levels? Yeah, well, you mentioned Sean Evans, who we both have enormous mm. respect for, and mm. her approach to the program uh, prior to this was to structure the course as a very elegant progression through the literary heritage, bringing in the contemporary material where appropriate, but also giving students access to this kind of heritage experience of learning in English and looking through the different significant errors. So that has been disbanded. And so that does mean quite a lot of change for the teachers and for the school at large to now have this, I guess you'd call it buffet of courses. I use that term advisedly, though, because there is a unifying force that sits behind those courses. They aren't just designed for mass appeal. They're also designed in order to stimulate and develop aspects of the learner that we consider to be the most important. And so we thought a lot about what we wanted in the end before we started developing these courses to serve that outcome. Mm,
1: and that was something that I think Shan did with that team as well, thinking when when students leave, what, what has their experience of English been? And so I imagine that would be a familiar um, conversation for your department to have had.
0: It was. This mm. department already had a clear sense of what mm. their graduate would look like, and they all, oh. and the school does too. The school's put a lot of energy into developing an idea of what the ideal graduate profile is, and it's clearly articulated in the school. So there's, a, a, there's sort of clarity around the boundaries, and then there's a great... Kind of open playing field in the, in the classroom that we can sort of run around on. So what's been great about it is that the inevitable increase in the autonomy of teachers and their ability to make their own choices about what's taught in their classrooms has been really wonderful to see them embracing that opportunity and being creative and teaching from their passion and bringing elements into the program that they think are important. And there's obviously now an opportunity for us to assess the impact of that and to determine its, its success or otherwise and to learn from that and that spirit of improvisation is definitely new to the culture. It's a traditionalist school. The teachers are accustomed to being held quite strongly accountable for the outcomes in terms of assessment results and to be not throwing all of that out but taking a less direct route towards achieving that requires a lot of a leap of faith for them so i feel really proud of them i feel that they're precious and that they have shown a lot of faith in me and the and the thinking that goes behind what we're doing and i guess at this moment in time it's starting to roll out they're really doing the hard work for it they're continuing to show enormous enthusiasm and commitment to it and they're working beautifully with each other but i I still have to have say. I've got my fingers crossed that this is all going to work out. Mm. You know what I mean? You, it, it's sort of the, the jury's out in a sense.
1: Oh, totally. That's I, that's how I feel all the time. Like, yeah. I, I I rarely teach something twice. I never keep my resources. I've never kept resources when I've moved schools, which I've regretted sometimes. But that's
0: quite yeah, a radical yeah, kind of <laughs> every
1: everything I reset teach. Every yeah. Time. Basically, everything I teach, I teach for the first time. Um, and I don't, yeah, I don't know why.
0: I think I know why. I think you have a fascination with the new. One of the things I would say is I definitely do repeat the teaching of mm.
1: things. You get good at it if you repeat things. Like the, the best grades I've got with some things have been where I've taught them multiple times. But also the best grades I ever, ever got was where I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And I think that galvanized
0: this approach.
1: Yeah, it's like this. This works for me, yeah. and I don't know if it would work for anyone else. But, but yeah, that I know that I can kind of wing it and and be okay.
0: That would be our um a unified message, though, wouldn't it? It's it isn't to say you must do things this way. It's more people must be empowered to do things the way that they see fit, and yeah. that's yeah. going to lead to the best outcomes.
1: Yeah, totally. And I, you've got a teaching is such a journey to understand. What your strengths are? Remember when I first started teaching, and oh, you'd practice behaviour management. Like I, th- this is inappropriate. And
0: if you, if you <laughs> I love keep
1: that. doing yes. that, I will write your name on the board.
0: I'm gonna underline it next. Watch <laughs> out! <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna
1: put two lines, yeah. <laughs> and nothing, nothing worked. You know, yeah. or I'd take a real, a, my put on my grumpy voice, and now my behaviour management. Is, re- is more just like can you just stop talking because it's just really annoying me and it just it just stop
0: mm.
1: <laughs> but it's the relationship it's, it sounds it? terrible yeah mm. but th- but that works for me mm. and I know what I know how to do what works for me so for yeah for especially for younger teachers as you're like god how do I do this y- you'll find your way
0: I've got a specialist mm. uh, raised eyebrow which i find quite useful
1: oh yeah I see
0: it because <laughs> it's oh, not angry. It's both of Yeah, them. I can't raise one; they both go up. Neither can no. I. I've tried for <laughs> yeah. so long. But the thing about that is that oh, um, wink. it's quite friendly that raised eyebrow. But the point about it is the students know your cues, and that's what it all—that's all that all is really. I
1: don't teach from the front of the room. I have a, a clicker, and um, and all of our lessons are digital, so I don't actually do much whiteboard marking uh, writing at all, um, and I. I'm constantly parading around and sort of like <laughs> when I can see students disengaging, I'll just kind of stand and do star jumps just to be like, please stay with me, five more minutes. People talk about your teaching toolkit or your kite or,
0: yeah.
1: or whatever you have, but it's so personalised, isn't it?
0: It is, but I think we do have to be, with new teachers, I think we have to give them some uh, principles and strategies that, mm. that they can experiment with to try and put them into effect.
1: And also be there to be like, how was it?
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Obviously, both of us have got a really strong uh, principle of non-coercive approaches in the classroom. And those sort of things, like when it comes to HOD, I guess I would say that there are things that I I have some hard lines. You know, our classrooms in English must be non-coercive. There's no punitive approaches in, in our, it's all about learning from experience and supporting people through the errors that they make and the obstacles that they encounter. And that our job is to assist and support and encourage and remind and clarify and not not, not punish and, um, imp, and, and enforce. I think those things are really problematic. So I have, you know, a few very strong views.
1: Mm. Yeah, as do I.
0: You've been listening to Is This For Credits, the podcast of the New Zealand Association for the Teaching of English. Check out what else we're up to by going to our website, nzate.org.nz.